Let's get some trickling water here. Okay. Hello, this is Chris Gent. I'm an award winner from... Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. You're listening to WCGO Radio, 1590 and 95.9, Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. All right, we'll see what we can do with that. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> But, you know, my mom knows me so well. She does this one thing that drives me crazy. Like, I, you know, uh, I, came, I came home the other day. And she says, hey, come here, come here, come here. I'm like, what? She goes, I bought some organic tomato juice. <laughs> now, I hate tomatoes. She knows I hate tomatoes. And she does it like it's a secret. It's great for you. Mom, I don't like tomato juice. No, 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 have some. It's good for your hair, for your heart, for your brain, for your manhood, everything. <laughs> mom, I hate tomato juice. Okay, okay, okay. That means you're dead. Okay, don't worry about it. Okay, go. It's okay. Okay, but she doesn't give up. This is just the beginning. You think it's really over? No! They set up the table. All my sisters come, they're cheering tomato juice. Oh my God, what a fantastic tomato juice. Oh, you know, you want some? No, I'm okay. You don't know what you're missing. It's okay. They eat, they finish. My mom doesn't give up. She leans in, pours a whole glass of tomato juice. Just have a little bit. Come on, just a up. Come on. Have a little bit. You know, at that point, I'm losing. I'm like, Mom, I don't want any tomato juice. What is wrong with you? It's not like anybody forcing you. Nobody's twisting your arm. You don't want to drink it, don't drink it. You're crazy like your father. Your father's crazy like you. Get out of my house. Get out of my house. Mom, I'm sorry. Bring the whole bottle of tomato juice. The whole bottle right now. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Good planets are in the main. You mean planets where it doesn't rain every day, every single day of the year? A little bit of sunshine? Yeah, those planets. Uh, but you know what? I think that's all we're going to say about that until we get uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio on the show. Although we do have a little bit of sunshine. Yeah, and uh, we do. 
we do have a little bit of that today, and it's great. I mean, it's uh, going to be cool. It's a lovely early May day. <laughs> it's a lovely early April day uh, in June. Uh, and uh, we're talking tomatoes because you you got to do it sooner or later. June, June is here. so And I always tell folks uh, in Chicago, uh, the time to put your tomatoes out is June 1st. Um, because, and you know, they're always saying, but wait, I brought some back into the garage on the evening of June 1st. <laughs> I know it. I know it. And we're, we're, I've been schlepping them in and out for a month. Uh, it, it has not been fun. Uh, I miss my greenhouse. I miss the little greenhouse we had because we're looking at tomatoes here. We've got some in the studio. Uh, I don't think the camera can even pick them up. Uh, and you, you cut my head off there, uh, uh Andrew. Um, uh, but I can duck. I can, I'll, I'll just quack, quack. And uh, all right, let me see. See if if I just hold these, they look very nice, you know, by themselves. But then, if I grab Peggy's tomato, then I look like I don't know what I'm doing, which is true. <laughs> I don't know what Not, I'm doing. There's but, so many variables, uh, as as one of our guests pointed out in his blog. Uh, there are. Well, let's, uh, let's bring in our guests real quick. We'll do a quick introduction and then we'll, uh, break and then, uh, we'll actually get into the meat of, uh, th- this is Tomato Mania. Woohoo! Tomato Mania 2019. And, uh, our guests are people you've heard about on the show before. Uh, first of all, we've got, uh, Casey, see, we got Casey and NC here and you pointed that out, Peggy, and I appreciate that. Casey and NC. So Casey is Casey Tomato. Who's on the phone? Casey, you with us? Yeah, good morning. Good oh, morning. All right, fantastic. Casey, of course, is out of Kansas City. Not he, his real name. Uh, Casey Tomato, no, not his real name. We might actually use his real <laughs> name. If, if I get mad at you, I'll use your real name. Uh, and uh, Craig, <laughs> Craig LaHoulier is NC. He's the NC Tomato Man. Uh, Craig, are you there? <laughs> good morning. I sure am. Boy, and you guys, the, the scary part is that they know each other, so this is a conspiracy. Uh, and They've probably been plotting for days. I know. They're going to gang up on us here in the studio. So there's that music. It means that uh, we're going to take a little break, but when we come back, we are talking everything tomatoes. It's 2019. I, regardless of the weather, hey, if it's going to be 30 tomorrow, I'm putting my tomatoes out anyway. I don't care. 877-711-5611 is our phone number. If you want to get in on the conversation, we're also on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. Don't worry, mosquito dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito Dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. It's a new year, and Chicagoans are still looking for new and better ways to get healthier. This is Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach our area's growing wellness and sustainability market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 engaged monthly readers. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more. 847-858-3697. And check us out at nachicago.com. 
Ain't nothing in the world that I like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Up in the morning, out in the garden, get you ripe and don't get a heart. Now, I bet you guys hear that song in your sleep, don't you? <laughs> I was asked to play yeah. it once on my guitar. <laughs> uh, now, who, who, who was that that said that? That was me, Craig. Um, I was at a, at a church event and uh, did a tomato tasting, and somebody, when they found out I played, handed me the guitar, and they said, you can play the tomato song, can't you? So uh, I did a bad rendition. <laughs> so that is called now called the tomato song. Okay. It's, it's actually Guy Clark uh, singing Homegrown Tomatoes, yep. and, I, and I love that song, yep. uh, and I play it every chance I get on the show, and uh, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't seem to care, so at least he hasn't yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Very pleased to have Tomato Mania 2019. Tomato Mania, Mania, Mania. Uh, on the Mike Novak Show with K- Casey Tomato and Craig LaHoulier. Uh, they are both tomato experts. Uh, I got cut off before I got a chance to finish my introduction to Craig, uh, but I'll let you guys uh, talk uh, just briefly about what you do. But Craig is the author of uh, the seminal book uh, about tomatoes called Epic Tomatoes. There's a copy of it here. Peggy remembered hers. See, I'm I'm useless. Uh, she grows bigger tomatoes <laughs> than me, and she remembered to bring the book. I re- did not remember to bring the book. Um, and, uh, I'm just going to turn the show over to you guys and I'm going to walk out and go, we're going to go get coffee and, and I'm going to go, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go eat mushrooms outside because there's so many of them, uh, around. Uh, so, uh, Craig, uh, yeah, it also has a wonderful blog. Uh, you can go to his website, which is com, And the only problem there is figuring out how to spell Lahulier. Um, and that's L E L E H O U L I E R, Craig Lahulier dot com, and I and, and you do pronounce it Lahulier, right? Lahulier, Lahulier. Um, well, I what? have traced it back to Normandy, France, mid seventeen hundreds. But uh, if you just pronounce what you see, it gets you close <laughs> enough. Well, I, I, I want to <laughs> know. I want to know how you pronounce it. It's uh, Lahulier or Lahulier. What do you like? Yeah. Uh, we we Lahulier it, and our daughter's going through school. Uh, the teachers wouldn't even give it a shot. They'd say uh, Sarah L. and Caitlin L. Oh, that's not even that hard a name. It's, it's not. Yeah, it's not really that hard. Not. I know. I know. And, and uh, I know. Very well, disappointing. And and Casey, I'll just mention it once. You're actually Keith, and I want to know how you pronounce your last name. Is it Muller or Mueller? Mueller. Mueller. Okay, and you're not related. Yeah. You're not related to Robert, I assume. Uh, not that I know of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just wondering. Just wondering. Okay, uh, so we'll start with you, Casey. Uh, tell me a little bit about the work you're doing in Kansas City right now. Okay. Um, I breed tomatoes. I try to do it organically, and I focus in on flavor. And I'd say that's pretty much a roundup of what both Craig and I do. We look for the best tomatoes and try to figure out what are the best flavors. We're really interested in flavor, but uh, I work with a few projects with universities now, and I'm working to develop varieties that are different, that have better flavor, and I'm working to get seed increases out there so I can get stuff out onto the market and people can get access to them. And I've got uh, examples of some of your tomatoes here because you sent me seeds, and uh, they're actually quite healthy. They're just small, and that's going to be our first question when, when I get to this. 
mm-hmm. when we get into the conversation here, because uh, I know you guys would geek out on me and talk about cross pollination and varieties and flavor and whatever carotene yeah. and, and all that stuff and and folks would their eyes would glaze over and they'd go listen to the uh breakfast with the beatles so uh uh i i will get to that the some of the simple stuff in a second because i want our listeners to to have really good advice from two of the pros uh but let's go now to uh craig and i mentioned that you wrote uh, epic tomatoes and you also have your blog but you also have uh a garden in what used to be a driveway do you want to explain that <laughs> sure. Well, <clears throat> yes. Uh, where I dug my garden, and it's a place where Keith and I met about 25 years ago, slogging through my tomatoes during a tropical storm. Uh, the trees around the garden grew to the point where we had to put the garden in the driveway. So I developed um, knowledge and some expertise in straw bale and container gardening. But um, pretty much writing Epic Tomatoes has allowed me to get out on the road and if you were to sum up what my objective is, it is to get everybody in the country that has some sun shining in their yard to grow something. And beyond that, it's all just a lot of details. But uh, <laughs> gardening's therapeutic. It's essential. It's wonderful. And everybody ought to do it. Uh, there you go. It's 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 that simple, folks. Uh, and you guys met how long ago? What were the circumstances? A professor at NC State that I worked with um, she had a class, and she asked if I was working with her on another project, and she asked if I wanted to tag along with the class. And uh, we went up and saw Craig, and he just happened to be, I don't know, three blocks away from my wife's grandparents. So it, it was kind of interesting. <laughs> but uh, he, uh, I, I'll never forget it because she, she's a great person, but she's a little stuffy. And um, Craig showed her what's called Peter Peppers, and she turned bright red. So if you don't know what those are, look them up on Google, oh, no. and I'll give you ready. <laughs> oh, dear. I think I know. Okay. <laughs> that was. I think it was 94 is my guess. And you guys uh, have kept in touch ever since, and uh, and now you're plotting against <laughs> against the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, all right. Yeah. So this is it. You guys uh, know each other. You're both uh, uh, fanatic tomato fanatics. You both grow a lot of them. Um, uh, Craig, do you hybridize or you just grow uh, uh, varieties that uh, you find seed for? So I guess it's kind of three main areas. I explore and love the the family heirlooms because of the diversity of colors and flavors and uh because we do sell seedlings here, I try to focus on those that will perform well in Raleigh, which is which is um, not easy because of the heat and humidity we get, and it's changing all the time. So that's kind of an ongoing research project. Um, I mine the old seed catalogs and seed banks to find varieties that my grandfather and other relatives may have grown. So looking for varieties that seed companies have developed, but they've gone, people think they've gone extinct. Mm-hmm. Mm. And yes, I've, I'm into amateur plant breeding and uh, co-run a project that's involved hundreds of people worldwide. And the the key is to get dwarf-growing tomatoes, three to four feet tall, perfect for a five-gallon pot, that expands um, gardening for people who are relegated to growing on patios and decks. And we have 106 of those varieties now in seed catalogs, and we take them to stability. So if you grow them out, save seed, they'll come true. Uh, I think of them as a class of tomorrow's heirlooms. They'll be heirlooms someday if people mm-hmm. grow them and love them. And w- one thing I noticed when I was looking at one of the lists of some of the, the dwarfs, uh, the dwarf emerald giant was in there, which 
both of Mike yep. and I have grown the last yeah, couple in fact, years. Yeah, I, I grew it for two years mainly because the second year it uh, it volunteered, and I said, okay, let's let's grow it again. Huh. Great tomato, I think. Well, you should never talk about your children with glowing terms, I guess, <laughs> for other people to do. But yeah, wonderful, wonderful tomato in my view. <laughs> well, I I believe a lot of the green tomatoes uh, are good simply because they don't get stolen. Uh, people don't know that they're ri- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's not right, Pat. Just let it sit exactly. there. That's not true, Mike. <laughs> oh, it, it is it? Oh, no. No, I had a whole field completely stolen of all green tomatoes no. because it's a cultural thing around here. People want green tomatoes, oh. bright green tomatoes. I mean, mm. my entire field was stolen overnight. Wow. But they didn't, they didn't know wow. they were ripe Whoa. at the time, did they? they no, they, they stole them for the green. It was before they were ripe. It was, oh, uh, it was probably they were like ripe. Okay. mid to late June. Oh, my goodness. Okay. It was terrible. <laughs> it was we, like, we, I couldn't a, believe it, but... In, it's a cultural thing around here. Yeah, in our community garden here in Chicago, uh, we grew green tomatoes because we and we didn't have a fence around the community garden because we knew people wouldn't take them, and uh, and then we would have them when they when they ripened, then they were still green. So we loved green zebra, and we lo- you know if we had had mm-hmm. em- em- mm-hmm. emerald uh, dwarf emerald giant, or uh, we would have had that too. All right, uh, that gets I, us. I think what's really interesting there seems to be some a serendipitous alignment of some really great intensely flavored tomatoes with the green flesh color and you know for my growing of 4,000 or so different varieties color and flavor don't necessarily correlate it's all in the individual genes but the green when ripe tomatoes seem to have gotten particularly lucky in the flavor department for reasons that maybe Keith would understand a little bit more being more uh, versed in genetics than I am but um, it's pretty fascinating how delicious those greens are. Well do you agree with that Keith? It's all over the place. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. You should talk to somebody like Harry Klee about all that because they're chasing down specifics. And uh, I, you know, there there are bits about color influences flavor, but there's other parts to the flavor mm-hmm. yeah. that yep probably don't have to do with uh, things. And so it's like you said, it's serendipitous and being able to put those things together to create new tastes combinations because so i would mention cherokee green oh. one of craig's is yeah probably mm. one of the best greens that's out there oh i see i'm not familiar with that no. so okay and i happen to have yeah. one of dr Harry and green and green giant is a parent of emerald giants but green giant is the daddy of the emerald giant you love it's just that you can grow the, the eight foot plant or as you found you can grow the four foot plant and they're uh, both really really good i like the four foot plant. <laughs> i just like i anything i anything i <laughs> And it's got great leaves too. And if I don't have to stake it, I'm I'm a happy yeah. guy. All right. Uh, and and speaking uh-huh. of Dr. Harry Clee, I've got one of his here. The uh, what was called at the time new hybrid, and it's a. This is, I haven't grown the garden treasure. I've got some seedlings that uh, I got finally this year, but I, uh, I've grown uh, the garden gem and the new hybrid. I like the new hybrid. Mm-hmm. It's not quite as prolific as Garden Gem, but the tomatoes are slightly larger, and the flavor, I, th- I say the, the flavor is slightly better. It, that's my feeling. Um, but um, it, they're both wonderful plants, and uh, so I'm growing some of those again this year, along with uh, Casey's mm-hmm. tomatoes. And uh, let's get to uh, some of the, the practical uh, points about gardening tomatoes. And... Let's start with with you, uh, Craig. 
if you look at the photo that I've got on my blog, and you can go to my blog and you can find all kinds of cool stuff, including a, a series of articles that you did called The State of Heirloom Tomatoes in 2019. There's parts one, two, and three, and I've got links to all of them there. But if you look at the photo of your uh, driveway garden, which is uh, the name of your blog, uh, uh, which is a great name for a blog, and your straw bales, and I, I won't even, well, maybe we'll get into the straw bale thing in a little bit. Uh, you've got all these wonderful containers. What you're, They're not pots. They're not plastic pots. What, what do you like to grow your tomatoes in, and how long do you keep them in those things? Sure. Uh, well, I keep them in uh, right through the end of the season, and my driveway this year has 10 straw bales that have two indeterminate tomatoes each, and those will reach eight feet tall, and I expect to pick 20 pounds of fruit minimum off each plant, so that's 40 to 50 pounds per bale. And then in the center of the driveway, I use the black uh, five-gallon plastic grow bags that are very inexpensive, um, and they're reusable. They'll last for 10 years. Uh, they come with holes punched into the bottom. I find the absorption ability of the black plastic makes peppers and eggplants just go crazy. And uh, those are two plants in particular that love a hot root zone. And uh, the indeterminate side in five-gallon bags, I'm not growing those for maximum yield. So, yes, that's an insufficient pot size to maximize your plant. But if you're just growing to collect pollen off flowers or to check a variety out, let two clusters form and save some seed and get to taste them, so that's what I call my, my uh, driveway my R&D lab, where, mm-hmm. uh, it, like Keith, has his R&D fields, where there's all kinds of different things going. There's uh, growing for flavor and food and preservation, growing to discover new varieties, um, growing some old favorites for fresh seed. And it just makes every day so exciting to walk out there because there's something different to see every single day. It's um and it's right outside my garage door. So my office is very, very cool compared uh, to other offices. All right. So, again, <laughs> let's let's reemphasize. The ones that you'll grow uh, for full harvest are, are 10-gallon, did you say? Yeah. So they're in a gro- the straw bales are the equivalent of two 20-gallon containers. So they're getting a lot of root zone. But I've grown indeterminants very effectively in 10-gallon containers. And if you go below that, then you're watering all the time and you're feeding more Mm -hmm. frequently because you're really restricting the root zone on that plant, and those plants get quite large. Uh, You could also prune some of the growing tips and foliage to make them a little bit less water-hungry, but it's just, um, to me, it's all about understanding your plant and how it grows and what it needs on any given day. Um, It's not make a list at the beginning of the season and then just follow it slavishly throughout the year. It's many adjustments made every day depending on the weather um, and what you see happening. So gardens, uh, gardening is a highly interactive um, pursuit, in my view. I don't know, Keith, if you'd agree with that as well, but uh, you spend a lot of time puttering around out there, I bet. Let me throw something else in here, and we have like a minute and a half. We'll break, we'll break and then continue the conversation. What about a spring like this one where here in Chicago – uh, it has been really inconsistent. It gets cold, it gets rainy, then we'll have an 80 degree, then it'll go back to 55. And more uh, rain. And I've been, tr- I've been, I'm trying to be careful with the tomatoes. I, I just finally put some in the ground a couple of days ago. Uh, didn't even want to do that because I don't like the weather. It's, it seems very cool. Uh, am I being too overprotective on, on these tomatoes? Because right now we're getting temps, 
you know, some days it's 65 and some days it's 80 and some nights, it, you know, tonight we're supposed to get to around 50. Yeah, right? it was down in the 40s last night. Yeah. So am I being too overprotective or should I be that careful? Uh, Keith, maybe we'll ask you. Just be patient. Um, you could do things like, um, you know, they have all sorts of, uh, I'll call them gimmicks. Uh, they do work, the, the wall of waters and things like that. But uh, black tar paper wrapped around it will hold a little bit of heat in. And that's what's going to be key to getting them going. Um, I've had sun scald problems on mine because we've had so much rain. Okay, so okay, hey, hold that, hold that, hold that like, thought, what? Keith. We'll be right back. Okay. The fish are back, and we're talking koi. We'll be streaming live June 22nd from the annual MPKS Koi and Trade Show at the Max in McCook, Illinois. The show is June 21st through 23rd. Learn from the pros, including the water mopes, Dr. Passavoy and his water quality team at the Midwest Pond and Koi Society. Exhibits and seminars are free. Their 2019 Garden and Pond Tour is at the end of July, covering the entire Chicago area. Go to mpks.org. Farm Forward is helping to change the way our world eats and farms to promote conscientious food choices, reduce farmed animal suffering, and advance sustainable agriculture. We are changing policy, changing farming, and changing the story by working with farmers to build alternatives that put animals, farmers, and communities first. To learn more about Farm Forward's work to end animal suffering and advance sustainable agriculture, visit www.farmforward.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter and find out what you can do to help. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Farm Forward. Winter snow isn't that far behind us, but the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards are already taking applications for this year's competition. Whether your garden is in your backyard, at a school, a church, a business, a community garden, or even an urban farm, you can enter as long as it's in the city of Chicago. Go to chicagogardeningawards.org and fill out an application. It's free, and your plot of paradise might be recognized as one of the best in the city. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. We're also at TheGreenDivas.com and on the Gab Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up for posts in our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for their logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. Attack of the killer tomatoes, attack of the killer tomatoes. They'll beat you, bash you, squish you, mash you, chew you up for brunch, and finish you off for dinner or lunch. Uh, I don't even know if you guys can hear that, but uh, I'm very predictable. I had to play Attack of the Killer Tomatoes uh, because it's uh, Tomato Mania 2019 on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And we have a couple of tomato experts on the phone. KC Tomato from KC and uh, NC Tomato Man from NC. 
So we'll get right back to them, but uh, got a minute for your trees. Our buddy Skeet from Bartlett Tree Experts recently wrote to tell a cautionary tale about tree care. He was asked by a homeowners association to check out some of their trees. A number of them were dying, and upon inspection, it was clear why that was happening. When the trees were planted 16 years ago, guy wires had been attached to stabilizers. Unfortunately, they were never removed, and now those trees are basically being strangled by the very wires meant to keep them healthy. Of approximately 70 trees on common ground, more than 20 had guy wire issues. This is a simple check, yet it was never done. Now this association is in jeopardy of losing more than 25% of their trees. So, when the board of directors asks, why do we need a certified arborist when we have a landscaper, you have your answer. Whether you're in an association or a business or you're a private homeowner, give Bartlett Tree Experts a call because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. This is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. As I said, we're talking tomatoes today. And uh, unfortunately, we had to break. And you were uh, giving us, uh, you were telling us about sun scald and some other issues. And you were uh, telling us, uh, uh, Casey, that there are various ways to keep your plants warmer uh, once you've got them outdoors. Right. You can wrap either black plastic down, lay it down around it, but something warm to warm the mm-hmm. soil. Uh, that's kind of, if you lay black plastic down, it kind of, it can cool the soil too. So um, there was actually research done at NC State a while back, and they found that if you just take black tar paper, and you don't have to have it very tall, you don't want to cover the plant completely, and wrap a ring around the plant, that will draw heat in during the day and release just a little bit of it at night, not like the wall of waters, but it had the same effect as a wall of water, and it's it's a cheap alternative to get more heat into the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm seeing sun scald because we've had so much rain, so when the sun actually does come out, the plants go, what the heck? And they, ah, they get this burn yeah. light colored on the leaves. No big deal. It'll go right out of it, but it's just kind of, it looks bad. Yeah, but but like you say, they grow out of it. Now, the issue I had, uh, and again, uh, when this is starting about a month ago, I was trying to figure out, get the the plants hardened a little bit and get them outside because uh, I had them indoors and they were getting too big to be indoors. And I didn't, I had last few years, I had a greenhouse. I don't have it this year. It, It needs to be repaired. We, the plants that grew in my house, they seem small. And I suspect it's because my house is very cold. Uh, our temperature is about 63 during the day, and it gets cold. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's what we set it at, because it's the only way I can uh, n- not pay so much for gas that I can't even stay in my house anymore. I'm just re- I just refuse to do that. All right? So I'm wondering if that stunted their growth a little bit. Would you, would you guess that was a factor? Yes. Um, you know, um, an an investment in a good heat mat and just keep the roots warm will have a big effect because that's probably it's cool soils probably what's, uh, stunning the growth. Yeah. They just pop right out of it when you put them on a heat mat, but you got to watch them more. Because they'll dry out. Yeah, they dry quickly. Yeah, because Peggy's got a heat, but you only used it for germination, right? Yeah, till it got the second set of leaves and 
pretty much turned it off. All right, so there that's I... How, that's how I use it. Sorry. Yeah. Can I share something really briefly about mm-hmm. the methodology I use? Because I think it might be illustrative and helpful. And we have no greenhouse. And uh, I once my seedlings have emerged, and people who have looked at my video know I'll plant up to 50 or 100 seeds in a cell. So mm-hmm. I can, I'll have 2,000 seedlings in a one-by-two-foot square. I have now start, started to go to hardening them off, easing them into direct sun very, very early on. And once they're transplanted in, my plants are in their three-and-a-half-inch pots in the driveway at temperatures as low as 35, 36 degrees. And as long as they're hardened off, they're fine. If it's going to look like it's frost, I'll use a double row of reme over them, and I've had them out there at 29 and 30 wow. because the driveway is radiating heat back up. So my plants, thousands of them, are all out um, right from the time I transplant them. And uh, we're talking 35, 36, 38, 40 degrees. And, uh, they're absolutely fine. Um, so I think people do tend to baby their tomato plants a little bit, but you've got to watch the watering and you've got to watch the speed at what you move them into the sun. And once they're into the sun, you really have to watch the watering and avoid really windy, rainy, chilly, rainy days. Or else, as Keith says, you'll get sun scaled and kind of ugly looking plants. They'll grow out of it, but they won't be really nice looking. Yeah. But uh, it sounds to me then, uh, if you're looking at temperatures here, uh, that are going to go down to 45 at night, you can probably say, oh, they'll be fine. Those those tomatoes, can, can ha- yep. they can handle that. If they're hardened off. If yes. they're hardened off. And they, and they were. Because yeah. The wind makes a difference. Yep. All right. So, it makes a huge difference, and they won't do much. They won't advance much because, as Keith said, they need, their roots need to be warm. Mm-hmm. So the roots are growing. It's just you're not getting top growth when it's cool. But once the heat hits, that's when you see them shoot up. Yeah. Yeah. So if our soil temperatures have warmed up enough, we can get mm-hmm. a plant. Yes. Or, or or if you're doing what Craig does, which yeah. is uh, protecting them and giving them uh, a situation. Where, what is it you say you, you put over the uh, tomatoes there, Craig? It's called various stuff, Agrabon, Frost Cloth, Floating Row Cover, oh, Rene, right. okay. uh, yeah. it's just different brand names of the same. But it's a very light spun fabric that provides... It, you can put it right on the plants because it just sits on the tips of the plants and doesn't bend them over. But it does capture heat radiating up from the ground and creates a warm microclimate that helps protect those plants. And, it, of course, it helps if you've had sun during the day, so you actually have that heat <laughs> in the concrete. <laughs> yes. All right. So, all right. Yeah. Well, that, so that's good. So, you know, even though we're going into June here, it's still cool. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to stop coddling the plants and just, uh, leave them to mother nature. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the organic techniques that you guys use. Uh, Casey, you say you're an organic gardener. I assume, uh, no, I shouldn't assume anything. NC tomato man. Uh, do you also do things organically? I actually spray nothing. Um, so what I do is I spend a lot of time in my garden and if I see, Lower foliage disease forming, I pluck them off. If I see insects chewing, I squish them or pluck them off. So I've had very good luck gardening successfully without picking up a bottle of anything and applying to the plants, just by close, careful, frequent observations. I'm glad to hear that. We had a a conversation about those chemicals uh, last week, which uh, we called uh, Garden Chemicals 101 uh, with our friend David J. Zaber. Uh, so, and, and as you can tell, I'm, I'm in that camp. However, that said, uh, let's start with you, Casey, and I'll get back to, uh, Craig. Uh, how do you prepare your soil? What, what do you think is optimum, an optimum, uh, situation for tomato growth? Um, you know, I check the pH, um, 
It depends on the site. I work with farmers and go out to several different sites. So they have a lot to do with whether they're doing something with the soil or not. I try to get organic matter into the soil, but um, I'm really kind of pushing things in the breeding because um, part of the projects I'm involved with, we're looking for plants grown under uh, that do well under organic conditions, which is totally different than when I was at NC State. Um, so you're not you're not pushing uh, chemical fertilizers. You're not spraying them with anything, um, it's not spraying them with anything non-organic. I really mm-hmm. don't use much. I don't need as much here. But uh, preparing the soil, um, I'll find a good organic-based soil uh, or uh, fertilizer, and it varies what I have to use based on the um, the soil test because phosphorus builds up in my soil quite a bit, so I have to watch something. I'm usually looking for a, a, a low-nitrogen source. Uh, but I just apply that at planting, and then when they're at ping pong size, golf ball size, fruit setting, then I'll go back and I'll uh, side dress, and that's it for fertilizing. And really, I don't do, I don't fuss with the plants too much. Um, I want to see what they do under tougher conditions, um, because I want I I want them to develop more what a, a, a farmer might do and, and be under tougher conditions. So I want to see what, how that's how mm. they, they perform. Um, when I'm going to get involved with these projects, it'll be with other farmers under different techniques and be able to gauge better what it does under different situations um, with different people doing things. So that's why I'm excited to be involved in that project. Great, and we'll get to that in in the next segment. I'll ask you about your project, but uh, and your your plants are basically in the ground, right, Casey? In the ground, I stake um, at home. I use cages, um, but I string weave them, and um, I if I can get to them because we're talking twelve hundred plants, and then different sites, um, I may prune the lower branches up to the first flower cluster and then stop. But sometimes I can't. That's a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can't get to it. Yeah. But, uh, okay. Typically that's what growers are doing. So I'm trying to, uh, get as close as I can. That's that lower pruning is important, especially like where Craig lives because you're getting airflow to the bottom of the plant and it can help slow down foliar disease. And let me tell you, Craig's got a tough spot to grow in that way. The, the, the diseases and the bugs are rampant in, in Raleigh. Uh, it's so humid. All right. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, Craig, you got, you got a minute, and we'll, we'll break, and then we'll get you back. Um, but what kind of, okay. what kind of uh, soil do you use for your plants? So there's plants in straw bales, which is a great start. You're, you're actually starting in a sterile environment. And the one caveat is you've got to make sure that your bales do not have any persistent herbicide embedded and the wheat straw. However, get, let's just say you've got good bales. That's a great way in a great environment to grow disease-sensitive heirlooms because you're starting from a clean slate. Right. In the grow bags and containers, I'm using a commercial bag soilless mix cut, let's say, three-to-one ratio with a, a commercial bagged uh, composted manure. Okay, hold on. Um, hold, 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 hold on. We'll, we'll, we'll get right back to that. Okay, we'll be back. 
smart farmers know that good growing starts with good soil biology. And you can't do better than with products from Tinyo Biologicals, the industry leader for 30 years, now available through Blazing Star. You'll find soil and seed inoculants, growth-promoting enzymes, foliar fertilizers, and biostimulants. Whether you're conventional, organic, or in transition, learn about Tinyo's biological farm management system. Go to blazing-star.com, and while you're there, check out their pollinator packets. Being a meteorologist, you see things daily that can be related or not related to climate change. And then you separate that from the climate science and the social policy. So it's almost like teaching three classes. The meteorology, which is short-term, the climate, which is long-term, and then the policy, which is government, whether or not it's federal, state, or local. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate on WCGO 1590, Chicago Smart Talk. And I don't think they like me I wouldn't say I hate them And they're not my enemy We do our best to coexist By staying far apart I don't like tomatoes They always make me far too unhappy Okay, I I followed followed that yesterday You guys can't hear it I wish you could It's a very silly song about tomatoes And when you listen to the podcast You'll get to hear that Uh, Meanwhile, Peggy Malecki has these important words Another week and another addition to City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center. Their new shade area, the Shady Bower, is now home to a huge shipment of beautiful shade-loving plants. But they've got sun lovers, too, meaning tomatoes, peppers, melons, squash, and other summer veggies. You can even see a dancing tomato on the City Grange Facebook page. Yay! Stop by the Bee Buffet event. Did you see the dancing tomato? Yes, I did. I did see the dancing tomato. It was wearing a muffler and gloves, but... Yeah, it was. Unfortunately, (laughs) yeah. So stop by the Bee Buffet event on Wednesday, June 5th from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. And they've got complimentary valet parking on weekends. That means today. So go to 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa. City Grange, United We Blossom. This is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, uh, and it is Tomato Mania 2019. And uh, we've got uh, Casey Tomato and Craig LaHoulier, uh on the phone, and we're talking about growing tomatoes. And uh, we, Craig, you were in the middle of telling how you, 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 you do the straw bales. And let me ask you that question real quick. Yep. Uh, we've had uh, Joel Karsten on the show. Were you doing it before he did it, or did you learn from him, or you guys nope. just parallel course here? What? Yeah, well, it's been a technique that's been around since the 50s, and Joel did a great job of uh, popularizing it with his book. And then when Story asked me to write my book, I said, well, I have to learn everything there is to know. So I bought and read his books and, <laughs> you know, tweaked it to fit um, – my needs, and then wrote my book on it. So it's de- Joel's work was definitely um, seminal in helping me form a foundation of knowledge about it. But it's a great technique that should uh, be growing in prominence uh, with the limiting factor being getting good quality bales to do it. Uh, All right. Given that, given that you have to condition those bales, is it too late to do it in this season? Um, it depends on your growing. You have to think of your frost-free days, but it takes. If you buy a bale today, you can pretty much think you can plant in it in two weeks. So, what if they've June, been sitting out in the rain for a June, while? You, yeah, uh, then you may need to just tweak them a little bit with the food to continue the breakdown process. But maybe um, 
give them a little bit of a dose of the nitrogen and then a balanced food, water it in, and then plant one week from then. But I think that's, uh, <laughs> that's something to play around with. And, and I would try that on a small uh, scale at first just to yeah. see how it works out. Any new gardening technique, I'm very strong proponent of give it a, give it a small try now. If it works, go big later, but um, people who get too aggressive about any technique they're not familiar with is a good way to turn somebody into a, a non-gardener. Yes. Exactly. All right. And then back to containers, you were talking about the mix that you use. Yes. Would you start start from the top again. Sure. Uh, a three-to-one ratio, roughly, and it doesn't have to be precise, of whatever type of a soilless mix um, you wish to find, and there's a, an infinite number out there, both organic and inorganic, but it's Combinations of perlite, vermiculite, um, shaved hardwood bark, peat moss, etc. That gives good drainage and some sterility. And then I mix that with a little bit of compost to cow manure, like I said, three to one. And that gives it some soil retention capabilities. And uh, that's it. And one of the nice things about straw bales and container gardening is you cannot overwater because everything excess just flows out the bottom. So it is actually the perfect type of a growing medium for us here in North Carolina where we get these big thunderstorms. If you don't have good drainage in your garden, you could have wet feet, tomatoes, peppers, and eggplant, whereas in your grow bags and, and uh, straw bales, the excess drains away. So um, nice way to grow if you can, you know, if, if you can pay attention to them because the sun shines, meaning weekly um, feeding with all that water that you're using, leaching the nutrients through, and probably daily watering when the plants get mature, and I'm daily watering right now. How long does it take you to water all those plants? About 15 to 20 minutes, because as my friend uh, Jeff tells me when he looks at my website, your garden is so boring, it's all lined up. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, I'm a chemist, I'm a scientist. Now, however, lining the plants up like that make it very easy to walk down the rows. If I got a five-gallon bag, I count to five with the hose in it, and then I look for <laughs> the pests Perfect. and the diseases. So I, I do like a an all-purpose when I'm watering as I also troubleshoot and see what's going on out there. All right. Finally, KC was saying that he fertilizes at the beginning, then he side-dresses uh, when the tomatoes are small. Uh, in a container, a lot of that's going to wash out, isn't it? And so how often do you fertilize? Yep, I'm feeding weekly, weekly, meaning kind of a weak uh, fertilizer dose on a weekly basis because of all that leaching, and I just use a balanced, a balanced all-purpose food of your choice. Um, I'm not too fussy about what I feed. The key for me is that I feed, um, because, and I look at the plants, and if the foliage is getting a little bit pale, uh, give them a little bit of a boost. So read the plants. They're telling you if they're thirsty. They're telling you if they need some food. And they're certainly telling you if they're being chewed up or being attacked by disease. Um, so always look at your plants and know what a healthy tomato plant looks like and what an unhealthy tomato plant uh, and, looks like. And, and, and that will help a lot. And as Keith mentioned, remove the lower branches uh, for air circulation. That's going to help mm -hmm. a lot in terms of diseases. Uh, yep. We've got about four minutes, so you each get about two minutes. Key, uh, Casey, tell okay. me, tell me uh, you, your choice. Either the the projects you're involved now or the latest in the flavors you're developing. Pick one. Um, I'll go with the projects. Um, I'm working with uh, the University of Madison, Wisconsin. Also, probably I think University of uh, Minnesota is going to be brought hmm. into this, and hopefully others later in the Upper Midwest region. I got a grant through the Organic Seed Alliance. I do believe it's actually through the USDA, through the Organic Seed Alliance, but we're developing a 
participatory breeding program to develop organic varieties for the upper Midwest. And what's really cool about it is is we're going to be doing um, a software program so that we can enter in data live and share it. And what that'll do is it'll give information for the farmers about what's available, and it'll also give uh, information to the seed companies about whether or not they should start carrying varieties for the Midwest because we're really left in the dust. We get whatever the coast works well. And sometimes some tomatoes that work well on the West Coast don't work well on the East Coast or here, and so it's kind of a mismatch. So we're trying to find things for here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also putting things out there. I uh, got interest from some of my seeds from a group called Row 7 Seed, which is Dan Barber's group uh, up uh, in New York. It's really exciting because they're really focusing in on flavor. And um, let's see what else I want to say. I think that's it. I'll that's, just stop there. You're, you're, uh, the what? Okay. okay. Get, get the yeah, book. He's out there. of time. That's right. All right. <laughs> because we, we got to yeah. give uh, uh, Craig LaHoulier. Uh, what's uh, capturing your attention right now, Craig? So um, we have our 106 dwarf varieties out. We'll have more coming. The, the project is winding down. However, the important part, and it's related a bit to what Keith said, what we don't know yet is which of these 106 varieties are going to do well where in the country. Uh, where are they going to be more disease prone? Where are the conditions going to develop the flavors most? Which ones are people going to love? Which ones are people going to dislike? So feedback into the project, either to me directly, uh, Victory Seeds out in Oregon is carrying all of our varieties. Other mm-hmm. vendors are carrying them now as well, like Tomato Fest and Fruition. But let us know where you live and what you think of them so that we can start understanding how these are doing. We've set our children to the world, and uh, this will help me because my third book will be telling the story of the Dwarf Project, and I hope to be done with that by next year. Because no one's ever kind of done a project like this, and I think the story needs to be told. So that's what's going to be taking my time up. Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, I just realized uh, i got to put uh, Casey's link on my blog post because uh, it's not uh, the easiest thing to remember because it's net slash Tilda tomato. Oh, my God. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> uses that, Casey. Come on, man. Get into well, the 21st yeah, century. Yeah, well, it's... Uh, I, I started that in like 1994. So <laughs> okay, I know it's old school. Uh, it's retro, but but the links it are, is. the links are on my uh, website or will be. I'm holding up uh, your tomato, the Delta Queen here, Casey. If you get around to Facebook to look at it, so there it is. It looks really healthy. Thank you guys both for being on Tomato Mania 2019. Thank you, Mike. Captain's log started four two three two six point one. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe, author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? 
welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. Oh, yeah. And welcome back to the show. We're going to go backwards in time. Actually, not so far backwards in time to uh, winter in the second segment. Yes, winter! The the, uh, Village of Niles is... uh, Won an award for their snow removal, snow and ice removal, and we're going to... They're doing some cool things, yes, definitely. they are. So uh, that's coming up. However, uh, we got a thing. Uh, I, I wasn't aware of this, uh, and it's interesting because uh, I made uh, Todd Jacobson aware of this at the Morton Arboretum. Uh, it's just breaking news, ba- basically, in the last last two weeks um, a, about uh, a situation in Indiana... And let's find this out. The DNR, Indiana DNR, confirmed, and this was uh, May 22nd, uh, that the Indiana DNR confirmed today that it has intercepted plants containing a fungal pathogen that kills oak trees. Uh, It's uh, called Sudden Oak Death, or SOD. Uh, And this is for the first time in about 10 years. Inspectors from the DNR Division of Entomology and Plant Pathology detected SOD, which is Phytophthora ramorum, in several varieties of rhododendrons, believe it or not, because they can also be affected. There's a lot of plants could be affected by this. And they were being sold in Indiana, in Columbus, Noblesville, South Bend, Sullivan, and Tippecanoe. Uh, SOD has killed large tracts of oaks on the West Coast, SOD has not been established in the Midwest to date, which is why this is so concerning. Uh, SOD can kill standing oak trees, which could happen if SOD-positive rhododendrons were planted within about six feet of a standing oak. SOD travels in more than 100 species of host plant material. It causes some browning of leaves in the host, but does not kill it. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they... uh, they had a list of, of plants that are effective. So this is the DNR, Indiana Department of Natural Resources. If you go to uh, the Mike Novak Show on Facebook and scroll down, you will see the post from a few days ago. Now, uh, our friend Scott Jameson at Bartlett Tree Experts wrote, he said, this is a devastating disease out west, although it is being managed in the landscape. It can be managed. No one knows if the disease will take hold here. Are the alternate hosts in place, he asks. Are the weather conditions conducive to it becoming established here? We just don't know yet. The good news is that perhaps this was caught early and will create more inspections and care in how we move plants around the country. Uh, He writes, by the way, boxwood blight has also been confirmed in Lake County, Illinois, and Ohio. He writes also that that can be managed effectively. So he wrote that, and then... Todd Jacobson from the Morton Arboretum wrote back a, a, an article from the Indian, Indianapolis Star, the Indy Star. Uh, the date is May 29th. Yep, 
May 29th, state officials are warning of a worsening threat from a disease discovered last week. Uh, the fungal pathogen called sudden oak death was detected um, in several varieties of rhododendrons being sold in what was first believed to be in about 30 stores across the state, which is a terrifying number already. Mm-hmm. That number has now tripled. Wow. An infested material was sent to more than 70 Walmarts and 18 rural kings in Indiana. So, which could uh, easily be in other states by now. And well, they're worried also. Uh, what's more, it's been discovered that the infected plants were delivered to nine other states, according to Megan Abraham, director of the DNR's division of entomology and plant pathology. So, uh, if you're buying rhododendrons, especially in it, but in other states too, and they don't give the, the other states yeah. because they're still investigating this. This is a big deal, folks. Uh, sudden oak death, uh, as, as Scott Jameson says, it can be controlled, but you don't want it here in the Midwest if we haven't had it. And they've been working hard to keep mm-hmm. it out. So uh, keep watch this space, as Rachel Maddow says, and I will keep you updated as uh, I find out more information about this. Yeah, because I don't think we're done with it yet. No, I don't think so. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to, to bring up before we uh, we get to the break? I didn't know whether you... I was just going to announce our our new sponsor. Sure, go for for it. Um, Summit. Summit Summit Responsible Solutions, Mosquito Dunks, which I actually brought some in because these are going into my rain barrel, or one of these is going into my rain barrel. Ah. I have so much standing water everywhere in my yard. You said that, and you talked to me yesterday. You said, oh, I can't believe the storms kept me up. And, of course, yesterday I was... I had nothing. I don't there, think we had anything in the city. Had an, about an inch and a half of rain in two hours, just as as Rick said, the training thunderstorms. Wow! And they were purple in spots. Yeah, I saw that. You, you, you. Where did you get that uh, screenshot? That was just off off the uh, weather app on my phone. That was off your. I don't even know how to take a screenshot on my phone. Do you know that? I mean, I accidentally take screenshots all the time, <laughs> and then I go, "How did that happen? I have no idea. How do you take a screenshot?" Oh, anybody want to teach me that? Uh, I'm just. They went on an Android. How do you take a screenshot? I'm I don't so know. Sick of technology, <laughs> I am. All right. Well, speaking of technology, let's talk about some good technology. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about snow removal in the suburb of Niles. They're doing a great job. Fred Braun will join us. We'll be right back. When it comes to caring for your trees. You want the best science and the best arborists. You get exactly that with Bartlett Tree Experts. For three generations, training and education have been central to the work of this family-owned company. And Bartlett is the leader in safety. Whether it's your home or your business, Bartlett Tree Experts uses the most effective and environmentally sensitive methods. Call for a free estimate. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. Don't worry, mosquito dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito Dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. 
The fish are back, and we're live streaming June 22nd from the annual MPKS Koi and Trade Show at the Max in McCook, Illinois. The show is June 21st to 23rd. Learn from the pros, including the water mopes, Dr. Passavoy and his water quality team at the Midwest Pond and Koi Society. Exhibits and seminars are free. Their 2019 Garden and Pond Tour is at the end of July, covering the entire Chicago area. Go to mpks.org. Spring is finally in the air, and the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards are taking applications for this year's garden competition. Whether your garden is in your backyard, at a school, a church, a business, a community garden, or even an urban farm, you can enter as long as the garden is in the city of Chicago. Go to chicagogardeningawards.org and fill out an application. It's free, and your plot of paradise might be recognized as one of the best in the city. That's chicagogardeningawards.org. The torture. I know. (laughs) This is what you guys listen to while you're in your trucks, right? And you're out on the streets? Yeah, definitely uh, during the holiday season we do. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I I had to do that. I I, I promise I won't play any more uh, holiday carols. Uh, or actually, it's a winter song. It's not even a carol. It's a yeah. It's, it's just a, a snow song. It's just a snow song. Uh, we have Fred Braun with us in studio. He is the director of public works for the village of Niles, Illinois, and uh, Niles, uh, Niles, Niles, Illinois. And uh, uh, we're going to get to him in a second. We, we just want to mention something. Someplace uh, we're going to be. We're going to be on the 11th of June, right? Which is a Tuesday. And this is in partnership with the Forest Preserve District of Cook County. Um, downtown Chicago, the Live Healthy Discover Nature event, which is going to be down at, I think, Daly Center Plaza. Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of cool things are going to be happening that day. Um we will be Facebook living from there. I believe we're going to be interviewing quite a few people, including a naturalist, uh, hopefully Tony Preckwinkle. Um, I think there's a bird of prey going to be brought by. Really? Okay. Yeah, I'm going off of what we got from Nina. And and you know, it's it's they said uh, you know we know it's not a Sunday, but can you come down and do this uh, live uh, streaming on Facebook? We said, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. And and so in honor of that, I think uh, that day Arnold Randall will be with us, mm-hmm. and if he's not. For sure, he's with us next Sunday. I'm not sure if he's going to be in studio. He's the general superintendent for the Forest Preserves of Cook County, and he's been on the show before. But I haven't had him on in a long time, so I'm I'm very excited to talk about what's going on uh, in the Forest Preserve District of Cook County, and they've got a lot of great initiatives. And and this whole event is um, family-friendly for talking about sustainability and all of their different nature discovery programs. So that is a week from Tuesday, the 11th of June, and what was the time again? You don't have that there, do you? No, it is not on here. Ah! It is from mm to mm. Okay. I think I think check it, this space. I I don't know <laughs> I either. I think it's around eleven. It we, starts. We did this on the fly. We just said, okay, we're gonna throw this. So we uh, 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 go back and look at the other emails and while we're I talking. I believe it starts. I think at eleven. But if we find out, we will let you know. We'll let you know because we're gonna we're gonna be publicizing it at, at yeah. this week anyway. So uh, stand by for that. Because <laughs> then the next email in line is. Niles on the Mike Novak show. Right. right. And there's uh, Fred there's Braun. Fred. Uh, welcome. Welcome to the show and congratulations on your award. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me here so we can talk a little bit about our uh, practices for snow removal. You know, and, and um, uh, I was talking with uh, 
with uh, John Harris, who helped me set this up with you. And he said, well, we'll have to wait till uh, next season. I said, no, are you kidding me? This is exactly when I want to talk about this sort of thing. So other smart municipalities can get on board now with with some of these practices. Because you guys start training in the summer and fall for this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the planning kind of is year-round. There's different things that need to be taken care of. Equipment maintenance is going on now and calibration, things like that on the uh, salt spreaders. So, uh, yeah, there's really no off time for planning and training. Yeah, no. Uh, and, and, and when you're not, uh, uh, sweeping away the snow, you're dealing with flooding of course, too, because that's, that's always an issue as well, right? Sure. Um, and fortunately, um, the village of Niles has been very, uh, proactive with, uh, stormwater mitigation. Um, mm-hmm. they have initiated a quarter percent sales tax several years back to help, uh, fund multi-million dollar stormwater relief projects that have been uh, implemented already and significantly reduced uh, home flooding in Niles. So, and that work is still ongoing. Well, and, and it's, a, it's a huge issue in the Chicago area in general, as you know. I mean, there's, I'm, uh, it's not surprising, shouldn't be surprising to anybody, but um, I've seen, uh, I've, I, we've talked about it on the show. I've read studies about it. Um, and unfortunately, we're one of those areas where we have way too much fluttering, flooding, considering we're not on a floodplain. A lot of the yeah. area is not on a floodplain, and yet we have this flooding going on. And and I'm getting away from snow removal. We'll get back to that. But sure. it's all it's all of the same, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's uh, definitely climate change happening um, to what degree is being discussed, but uh, it's it, the weather's changing. There's yeah, no, yeah. yeah. no you kidding. Just look out the window, and you can see that. But uh, uh, you know, the the development in Chicago and the suburbs has been so aggressive over the years that all the natural areas that absorbed the stormwater in the past are gone. Um, so the, um, we just had an open house. Oh, no, go ahead. Sure. And then you um, just had an open house. Yeah, and uh, we had a display f- that we borrowed from the Water Reclamation District, and it showed how flooding happens and how it uses sponges to show that that used to absorb the water. And then when you mm-hmm. build a parking lot on top of it, that water yeah. runs off yeah. and goes to the homes. And you said those spaces are gone. And what, you know, I was going to jump right in is, but it doesn't have to be that way. Right. It doesn't. There's there's things like permeable paving. There, there are uh, uh, park areas and there are other areas that can absorb water. You've created some of those in the city of Niles. Absolutely. The village of Niles. Yeah, the bioinfiltration facility. Yeah, um, that was uh, several years back. We built a bioinfiltration facility uh, adjacent to our police station and water plant and a residential neighborhood. It's also close to uh, an area that we call our snow dump. Uh, oftentimes, big piles of snow build up in intersections, and we have to haul them to a location. So to that's store. where they go. Yeah, I, th- I thought the ferries <laughs> took them away. <laughs> yeah, well, for, you know, lakefront communities can sometimes push it into the lake, even, but we're we're not near uh-huh. the lake. So, oh, yeah. But when that water melts, it's oftentimes filled with mm-hmm. salt and different chlorides and from everything removal. that was on the streets. Right. So this. Um, this bioswale that was built on uh, the water all runs off into there and it takes um, all the storm water from uh, the area and it cleans the water before it goes into the Chicago North branch of the Chicago river. And the, the people know that that's what plants do. They're very efficient at cleaning water. And so when you have this asphalt parking lot and every time I see fresh asphalt in the city, you know, I live in the city of Chicago and, and you know, even when I'm out in the burbs as well, when I see a fresh layer of asphalt, I say opportunity missed. This is something you this is where you could have done something different. Uh but I don't know why we don't 
and I'm kind of a naive guy. I'm just, I wear my heart on my sleeve, but I don't know why we don't have more laws that make you jump through hoops of fire to have to just repave an asphalt parking lot when you could be finding a better way to recapture that water. Sure. And I think a lot of communities are starting to do that, but I mean, there is cost involved and of course there is resistance to change. Um, Yes. Well, and the cost involved comes at the outset. It's at the top of the project. It's the outlay for whatever substance. If you're if you're doing permeable paving, yeah, it costs more money. And guess what? The benefits of that are spread mm-hmm. along the population. So that doesn't encourage people to if they don't want to share the, the benefits of it, which is less flooding mm-hmm. with the population. They're going to opt for the cheap remedy. Sure, absolutely. Uh, and and we have to get people thinking what. Ultimately, how do you save money with this? You know, 10 years, five years down the road, when you have less flooding in your community, you've saved a lot of money, probably more, you know, a factor of tens of times more than paying for asphalt. Absolutely. And you also can't put a price on the quality of life. You know, the residents of the village of Niles in these areas where we've already done some stormwater improvements, their quality of life has improved. You know, how do you put a price on that? Um, so, uh, as I said earlier, the village has been proactive in that regard and continues to do that. And another new project that um, is under the uh, design phase right now is uh, Golf Mill Park in Niles. Mm-hmm. Is uh, working, Park District's working with the village to have another um, detention basin built there that's going to be incorporated into a big, large park mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. it will be able to be used for uh, festival grounds and things like that while also uh, stopping stormwater from entering the sewer system. Will the basin be part of the park or adjacent to the park? Uh, do you know, you know? Yeah, it'll be part of the park. Um, the exact design is still um, being worked on. I think of this because um, in Houston, where they have had terrific flooding in the last few years, they have a number of these basins. And before they had the flooding, the people thought of them as parks. And then they filled with water, which is their job, which is what they were supposed to do. And people were upset because now our park is flooded. Well, no, that's actually a retention basin. That was there to help mitigate flooding. It wasn't there so that you could run your dog. Right. All right. And that's uh, a matter of public education of why is it there? How does it work? And how does this help your basement? Right. And uh, there's still not enough. And they're still building on floodplains down there. We're, we just refuse to learn in some of these areas. So we, and that's why it's encouraging to see a village like Niles uh, step up to the plate. Sure. And when you talk about the cost involved with that, um, the, the grants that are out there, they're looking for innovative ways of doing mm-hmm. stormwater, not just putting in a bigger pipe. So um, the village of Niles received a $2 million grant towards this project because of its incorporation with a park. So. All right, let's get to the snow. Snow, sure. snow and ice. You know, let's not forget, we had snow, folks, on April 27th, all right? And and, and, and hail last week. Um, yesterday. Yeah. I, I had, oh, yeah, there was hail yesterday, I too. Had, but... I had dime-sized hail coming down, and thank goodness it was only for a couple of minutes because I started running out to save my tomatoes, and I realized, I'm going to get hurt. And, <laughs> and I so I put a thing over my head, and it was going, come up, 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 up. On, on the, and I ran back under the porch. I was like, okay, tomatoes, you're on your own here. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, that was uh, – it was brief, thank goodness. But, mm-hmm. we, yeah, we had hail in the city. Um, and uh, in terms of snow removal, one of the things you've done is reduce the salt usage, which I'm impressed by, by 40%. How did you do that? Um, well, there's a lot of different methods um, that we've incorporated to do that. Um, 
best management practices, uh, one of the things I talked about earlier was the calibration of the equipment. If you don't know how much salt you're putting down, mm-hmm. how can you possibly reduce it? So we invested in... Well, new- are, there, are there municipalities who don't? Do they just like throw it out there? I mean, I'm, of course, I'm thinking of the city of Chicago where it starts to snow and the trucks are all over and, and bam. And there's large piles of it sitting Wham, in bam, the, the stuff is all over the place. Sure. It's actually surprising when we go to some of these educational uh, training sessions, how many agencies are are still not on board with uh, using liquids. and How do you calibrate the uh, – well, liquids is one thing. Calibration is another, right? Yeah. And, and all of your computer monitoring of it. Yes, right. Yeah, so we have uh, – there's new technology out there that makes it much easier to track. And calibrating it basically just involves the truck in the garage. You fill the truck with salt. You um, measure rotations on the auger that's uh, pushing the salt out of the truck. Mm-hmm. And then you weigh the salt. And then the rotations per minute – with the amount of salt that's coming out, gives you how many tons or pounds per lane mile that you're putting out. That seems kind of simple, actually. Yeah, it's not that. It's, yeah, it's really not that difficult. It's, it's not rocket surgery. Okay. Sure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> rocket surgery. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Neither of those. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so once you know how much salt you're putting down, you know if you're putting down too much or not enough. Um, mm-hmm. And then yeah. there's science that tells you how much salt is needed to melt so much ice. So it's that's again, it's not rocket surgery. But the other thing, <laughs> you're going to use that phrase now, aren't you? Okay. Uh, and uh, but you're also measuring things. Uh, well, you're, you're wetting the salt first, sure, which yeah. means it doesn't bounce as much. And I had never thought about that. But anybody who's ever followed one of those trucks yeah. watches the salt crystals bounce all over the place. Yes, you can reduce that, can't you? Yeah, bounce and scatter is the term. Is in that the profession. That, yeah. that's the technical? Yeah, I, I like yeah. that bounce and scatter. It's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like me on the radio somehow. I don't know. Yeah, so, I mean, that uh, you, you keep it on the road where it's supposed to be instead of on the plant beds or by the trees sure. on the parkways, and um, it's a double bonus. You know, you, you use less salt, and you don't kill all the vegetation. And doesn't it also, though, by pre-wetting the salt, help it melt faster? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the interaction with the water and the salt, it becomes a brine, and then the brine is what actually melts the ice and salt. Is there trouble spreading it once it's uh, wetted? How does that work? No, not at all. Um, it's it's just the same as if it's dry salt. Um, really? Okay. Other than the bounce and scatter, it stays where it's supposed to go. Um, and. Um, we pre-treat it twice. We pre-treat it when it's going into the salt dome for storage, mm-hmm. and then we have tanks on the trucks that pre-treat it as it's coming out of the truck. So it's mm-hmm. a double pre-wetting system. Uh, and then you're also monitoring uh, temperature of yep. the roadways. Yes. And uh, tell me about that. Sure. Um, we used to. We still do uh, use a, a DTN, which is a subscription weather service. But um, like any weather service, it's more generalized. So we had two ARWIS stations, uh, road weather information systems installed in Niles that uh, use lasers to detect pavement conditions in Niles, on streets in Niles. Just in those areas or how wide an area? Yeah, we have one on each on the north and south end of town. um, So you use that to kind of, and then you average out from that? Sure. Yeah. Um, You know, it's it's a little bit more accurate or a lot more accurate than using, you know, what uh, the TV is talking about the Chicago area. (laughs) So it could vary greatly. Um, And so when we have one on the north and the south, sometimes the one on the north is saying the roads are snow covered and the one on the south isn't. So Uh that's how varying it can be. Yeah. And so that's very important for us to get a jump start on a storm um, because the quicker you can get out there, the less salt that you need to use. Because once the snow is compacted and bonding with the pavement, it. That is something I else that I did not, I should have intuited, but I didn't know this, that the, there's a, a bonding that goes on with the, uh, the the snow and the pavement. And if you can get to it before, then you, you, uh, you also save salt, I imagine. Absolutely. Um, 
what we're doing is anti-icing um, whenever possible. If it's going to rain beforehand, you can't because it washes. And it what off. do you use for anti-icing? Um, we there's a product uh, that we use that contains organics, um, and uh, it's a salt brine, and then a couple other chlorides. But primarily, it's salt brine with an organic that helps it stick to the street. Mm-hmm. Um, so the salt brine stays there and keeps the pave, uh, the, the ice from bonding to the pavement. And then the the organics, beet juice is what a lot of people use. I was just going to say, yeah, whatever it, you were ta- it was talking about high carbohydrate, and I was wondering if that was beet juice. Because or... that was, that was you know, a big thing 10 years ago yeah. or something. It still is. There's some blends that they're working on mm-hmm. to even perfect it more. But uh, that the reason that's used is that doesn't really melt the ice, but it's sticky. So it keeps it on the ground. Okay. Whereas you see, like, dust from salt after a storm, yeah, and it's just yeah. kicking up into the air. This stops that from happening. So it stays on, you know, it's another like reducing bounce and scatter, keeps it on the street. I want a t-shirt that says bounce and scatter. <laughs> is, is that like duck and cover? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and rocket surgery. And rocket surgery. We, we've learned so many things here today. Thanks, on the Fred. <laughs> sure. No problem. My pleasure. <laughs> well, we got about a minute and then we hope to bring in our meteorologist, uh, Rick DeMaio. Um And uh, all of this has to do with with using less toxic products i mean obviously there are some chemicals that you use you say you've got some chlorides that some of that just can't be avoided because you have to keep people safe as well yeah public safety is always number one so um we're always gonna have to use something to keep the roads safe for uh, first responders and for the public all right well that's uh fred braun he's the director of public works for the village of that's hard to say director of public works for the village of niles illinois uh we've got more of this conversation let's bring in a meteorologist after this uh it's the mike novak show with peggy malecki and we'll be right back is your couch killing you in a green diva minute you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green Americans have much higher levels of flame retardants in their bodies than anyone else in the world. In fact, California children have some of the highest levels ever measured. Flame retardants are found in furniture, electronics, and even in baby products, and have been linked to cancer, birth defects, and other serious health issues. OMG, what's a green diva or dude to do? Furniture that does not contain polyurethane foam usually does not contain flame retardant chemicals. There are nonprofit organizations that have done the homework for us and have lists of flame retardant free furniture manufacturers. I'm Green Diva Meg and you can find more low stress green living tips at thegreendivas.com. This is Mike Novak. Serious and even not-so-serious gardeners in the Chicago area know that there's a year-round resource that always comes in handy, Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's the garden magazine for our region, and it's packed with information about plants indoors and out. Every issue contains insightful articles by gardening pros, fantastic photos, science, and more. With features like what to do in the garden, design tips, and Chicagoland natives, you're going to be ready to grab a trowel and dig. Even I have a column in the inside back page of every issue. It's practically fact-free, and I'm proud of it. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600.
Oh, much better. Here comes the waiter with the omelets. This is, uh, oh, no, I was thinking uh, music to uh, plow by, you know. Oh, okay. Well, that too. Anything that keeps the stress levels down. That's right. And we were talking off air uh, about that, uh, the stress level, including your drivers who were a little worried they, they wouldn't get as much overtime because of this. And it does cut down on, on the hours that uh, you have to employ people, doesn't it? Sure, absolutely. Um, we were able to reduce um, the hours worked. We were able to reduce the miles driven, which is obviously also great for the environment because we're not using as much fuel and there's not as much exhaust from the trucks. Um, redu- reduction in salt, reduction in costs. So. It's just, uh, it, it's all good. Yeah. And and uh, we talked about in the flooding and we've got uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio on the phone. We'll get to him in just a second. I just want to make sure we've covered all of this. In the winter, when you're dumping the snow piles, that they, they are being bioremediated by that the area that you have there that you, that you created mm-hmm. so it happens all year round sure yeah and it, it's not just during the snow melt um this area is designed for stormwater runoff um even in the spring and summer t- uh, to help clean that water and reduce the amount that's getting into the stormwater system all right. well, I, I had a quick question because you you got this you received the award from the american public works association and, and i had seen there was a chicago chapter as well for mm-hmm. excellence in snow and ice control yes how many of these awards are given out? A little bit about the award. You just picked it up a couple of weeks ago. Sure. Yeah, we were out in uh, Salt Lake City to receive the award. And, uh, oh, we're... the irony. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but I'm <laughs> bummed. Thank you very much, folks. <laughs> uh, but Omaha, Nebraska and Surrey, British Columbia were the two other North American agencies who were selected as winners. And uh, the only thing that you can say to me is, "Shut up, Wesley." All right, but, All right. but now you're training other municipalities or yes. presenting to them. Yes, yeah, we've presented at the Chicago Metro training uh, sessions, and we also presented at the uh, national or the North American Snow Conference in uh, Salt Lake City. So, are people listening to you, or are they saying, "Hey, this is great stuff. We need to do this"? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have people follow up with us. They call us and email us uh, from all over the country and uh, ask us for uh, help getting some stuff set up that we've wow. already implemented. Well, I appreciate uh, what you're doing because I'm a plant guy. All right, and and as you mentioned in your application, and we've got a link to it at MikeNovak.net. You can see it's 22 pages long. Uh, and you I, can scan it and watch videos and all sorts uh, of cool things. I know. There's all there's great stuff there and great information, but the thing you point out over and over again is how toxic salt is to plant material and how you have to protect the plant material because then you're spending money to replace that. So you're reducing costs all the way around. Absolutely, yes. And I, I was listening on the way here. Um, I'm also a certified arborist. Um, we have two others on staff. Oh, I didn't know so, that. Give the man a ding. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> uh, trees obviously are near and dear to my heart. So we um, we use gypsum on all the highway trees. Yes, help, I saw yeah, that. To help neutralize the effects of the salt. And I have to like tell that. you something because it, it's also used to, to break up clay and yep. that, that sort of thing. Um, back when, when my dad was still on this planet, uh, I don't think he got my radio career. He didn't, he didn't understand my acting career. He didn't understand <laughs> my radio career until the day I came home and I added gypsum to his garden in the backyard. 
And he was like, oh, my son's putting gypsum down. He uh, must know what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I didn't actually, but that's what I, I – I went up a few levels in, in my dad's eyes. All right, let's bring in our meteorologist, Rick DeMaio. I hope you uh, uh, caught some of this conversation because uh, you talk about this all the time, Rick, about how municipalities are affected uh, by rain and snow events. And you're, uh, you uh, give snow uh, – uh, pre- well, not predictions. How would you put it? to uh to the various companies no i give snow predictions all the time oh okay I, um i yeah i, no, I, I mean I, I forecast i forecast for uh tovar snow professionals i've been doing that now for them for um almost 15 years and I basically forecast everything from snow to ice to freezing rain to freezing drizzle um and one of their biggest clients um, outside of also subcontracting for parts of the Niles area, uh, is O'Hare Field. So when I teach my students in aviation administration um, how to forecast snow, it's not so much for how much snow is going to fall on the ground and stick, uh, but how much is actually going to coat the side of an airplane. And to remove snow off of the fuselage of a 767 costs about three to $4,000 per plane per inch. Um, so when you talk about the amount of money that's spent on snow and ice removal from an airline perspective, um, it's enormous. And even though we had roughly 45 to 46 inches of snow this winter, I would not be surprised if most municipalities felt like they handled a lot more because with the different types of weather events that we've been having, it's no longer how much snow you're getting, but it's how often the snow is falling, how much it's melting, and also uh, the amount of freezing precipitation that we've had in the form of freezing rain and freezing drizzle this year. So it's, it's been quite a challenging uh, winter, and I think they're only becoming more challenging. I think you would attest to that as well. Uh, Fred is nodding. Fred, do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the nuisance storms sometimes are worse than the big blizzards. Um, when you have one after another, that mm-hmm. requires the crew to go out for even four or five hours, but it's, it seems like they're in the middle of the night or on the weekends. You know, I, I know that's a coincidence, but, uh, <laughs> um, but sure, those nuisance storms people overlook, you know, they only talk about the 22 inch storm, you know, or the groundhog day blizzard. Um, yeah. But those routine ones that uh, little freezing uh, drizzle. And, and they or, expect it all to be cleaned instantly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, uh, I have to ask you, Fred, uh, cause Rick talked of, we, you know, in April, we had those two storms. One actually had f- more than five inches of snow and the other one had more than two inches of snow. Did you guys in Niles go, oh, I can't believe we got to go out and take care of this. Yeah. Well, my first reaction was just close the blinds at my house and pretend it wasn't really <laughs> la, happening. La, la, la. <laughs> but you know, I, it, it isn't really that uncommon to have snow in April. It's, I guess, a little uncommon to have that much snow that yeah. late in April, mm-hmm. But fortunately, pavement temperatures were up enough that it didn't cause major problems. You know, most of that snow didn't accumulate on pavement. So, mm-hmm. so here yeah, we... That'll, that'll be the first thing everybody talks about is pavement temperatures, um, and especially at, uh, at airports where they're able to measure not only the temperature of the asphalt, uh, but also the concrete as well. But, but yeah, when, when you look at the snow that fell in the month of April, you go, okay, that pavement temperatures, not going to be that big of a deal. And then all of a sudden you go wow, it's actually sticking a lot more than I thought. (laughs) And I I think that's what was interesting about both of those storms, Fred, is even though most people were forecasting that much snow, there was still this sense of disbelief. And I think that's what we're seeing with a much more variable uh, climate. 
these out-of-season events that begin to occur more so at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year, and then all of a sudden you go through the entire month of January and you have not a single inch of snow, which is really quite amazing. I think we had more snow in the month of April than we had in December and January combined. Uh, I shouldn't say December and January combined. I know December combined with, I think, the month of March. Uh, <laughs> so wouldn't you say that that you, you seem to be kind of like doing more out-of-season type of event, uh, cleaning up from that standpoint? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the problems that are uh, the domino effect from that are it has uh, implications on our other services. We do a loose-leaf street uh, pickup. So all of our salt trucks right. are used for hauling leaves, uh, but it starts snowing on November right. 8th now. Uh-oh. And then yeah. people are complaining like, that we're plowing the leaves back up onto the parkways and they have to rake them back in right. the street. But our, you know, what other yeah, that, options that, do we yeah. have? Yeah, that was the event that we had. Uh, it was the Sunday after Thanksgiving where we had nearly eight inches of snow at O'Hare. Uh, but parts of Niles may have only gotten three or four, but it doesn't matter. You get three or four inches of wet, heavy snow mm. on top of the leaves that were supposed to be plowed or at least plowed, but removed the week before. Huh. Uh, and it makes for a huge mess. Do you find, you get, do you find yourself uh, playing differently before you begin the winter season now? Yeah, um, definitely. We start earlier. Um, we we moved everything up about a month um, for getting the trucks all set up and our fleet uh, department to test everything and make sure everything's working properly. We used to do that in November, you know, early November. Now we're doing it in October. Right. right. Wow. Yeah. yeah it, it definitely has, has seemed to kind of keep us all on, um, all on our heels a little bit, or I should say on our toes, as opposed to being back on our heels. But more than anything, it doesn't really matter how much snow you're getting. It's, it's how many events you're getting, when they're going to start, when they're going to end. Uh, and as you've already mentioned, the cleanup process, you know, how often your crews go back out to make sure that some areas that may have gotten snow and then actually thought of refroze overnight, because the last thing you want is a slip and fall. And those are the things that, you, uh, that you're trying to prevent more than anything. Is people obviously injured themselves mm-hmm. in situations where they're maybe not paying attention to the sidewalk in front of them. How often do we see people walk across the street and instead of looking at the lights or the traffic signals, they're looking at their phone and next to know they slip and fall and they go, Hey, wait a minute. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't touch this, this uh, sidewalk or you didn't, you didn't go back and plow this as, as you normally should have. How do you handle situations where people are probably more at fault than they were before just because people just aren't paying attention to where they're going? Uh, that's a good question. Um, because it's always changing. Uh, it seems like the technology changes every time you have a plan for the newest technology, and then that's outdated. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have, like everybody, less staff than we've had before. So we've been focusing more on uh, split shifts where we used to have the whole crew come in. Now we have split shifts so that um, we can constantly keep monitoring things so we don't get behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. And uh, that way there's mm-hmm. always people there during uh, winter weather events so that uh, that doesn't happen. And especially when it happens over a holiday weekend, there's nothing worse than trying to call in an extra staff <laughs> when it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving or during Christmas or New Year's. It always seems to occur during those times of the year. I'm sorry, Mike. Oh, I, just, I was just going to say that, uh, well, that's the snow issue, but now, right now, we're in June, beginning of June, and it's a rain issue, and uh, they're dealing with that, and you're dealing with that too, Rick, and uh, it's, we've got about a minute and a half before we break. We'll come back after that. But uh, give me your impression of the uh, the last couple of weeks. Well, I mean, we finished up the month of May with 8.25 inches of rain. Uh, that's a record for the month of May. 
we finished up Climatological Spring, which is March, April, and May, but it seemed like it seemed like Memorial Day weekend was the official start of spring rather than the mm-hmm. official start of summer. Uh, we finished up that three-month period as the second wettest ever for O'Hare and third wettest for the for Rockford. So this is something that we've seen more and more of, uh, more from a standpoint of widespread rainfall, uh, record rainfall as well. But it's interesting to note before we go to the break, we ended up the wettest month of May, and we did not have a single day of over two inches. And that tells you that it wasn't a record event. It was just a series of events. And we ended up with 21 days of rainfall for the month. And that's tied the most days of measurable rain since back in November of 1985. Wow. Okay. We'll get more to that and, and what we can expect uh, moving forward. We're pleased to have Rick DeMaio on a little early today. Fred Braun is the Director of Public Works for the Village of Niles. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Smart farmers know that good growing starts with good soil biology. And you can't do better than with products from Tinyo Biologicals, the industry leader for 30 years, now available through Blazing Star. You'll find soil and seed inoculants, growth-promoting enzymes, foliar fertilizers, and biostimulants. Whether you're conventional, organic, or in transition, learn about Tinyo's biological farm management system. Go to blazing-star.com, and while you're there, check out their pollinator packets. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. It's called global warming, and it ain't going away. No, it isn't. Hey, Eco Elvis, you're you're out of date. We don't call it global warming anymore. We call it climate crisis. Climate crisis. We've moved on. We've moved past uh, climate change to climate crisis. We'll get back uh, to talking about that in just a second. However, it's another week and another addition to City Grain, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center. Their new shade area, the Shady Bower, is now home to a huge shipment of beautiful shade-loving plants. But they have sun lovers too, meaning tomatoes. Tomatoes, peppers, melons, squash, and other summer summer veggies. 
Uh, you can even go to their uh, Facebook page and see a dancing tomato. And as Peggy pointed out, the dancing tomato is wearing <laughs> gloves. But maybe it's just because that's the costume. I don't know. Stop by the Bee Buffet event on Wednesday, June 5th from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Uh, and as always, complimentary valet parking on weekends. That means today, Sunday, 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa City Grange United We blossom we have fred brown in the studio brawn i'm sorry uh the director of public works for the village of niles and meteorologist rick DeMaio. we were just talking about record rainfall uh and i understand we're going to be getting uh, uh well it's 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 bad here but it's not as bad as a lot of other places in the country eh rick i think you have to um go into areas of like western sections of illinois uh, meaning right along the Mississippi River, eastern sections of Iowa, um, into eastern area of Missouri. Those are the places where a lot of the tributaries are really beginning to show signs of major flooding, maybe not record flooding yet. And, of course, obviously downstream when you head into the central and southern Mississippi Valley, that's always the place where the delta really begins to fan out. Fortunately, in some of those areas, once you get south of the uh, uh, the Cairo area, Carbondale, you don't have as much um, area of crops that are going to be impacted. You don't really have a lot of corn. You don't really have a lot of soybeans in those areas. Um, here in Illinois, uh, I think when I looked at the last crop report, which came out on Tuesday, uh, it showed that we were up to 35% of crops planted. The week before, it was 24%. The week before mm -hmm. that, it was 11 and what, what farmers typically do when you get pushed back this late in the season, you end up going from what what, what is a 90-day um, corn, um, corn seed to a 70-day corn seed. Now, what happens there is you can get the plant in or you can get the crop in. The problem, though, is your yield is usually going to be a little bit less, but you will end up getting a crop in. Uh, the, the worst part about this is not so much the acreage that has not been planted, but it's the number of days that you can actually get out and work in the fields. Um, I think this past week's number of days of suitable farm or uh, suitable uh, field work was up to about 3.5. Before that, it was only 2.5. So even though on a day like today where you have the sun out, um, the ground is still wet yeah. and it's still muddy and you can't get the field equipment in there. So we're going from a situation that is bad to worse. And I think by the end of this week, I think it's June 5th, is when most farmers will actually decide on whether or not to call it a day or, or try to get their crops in. So mm -hmm. from a standpoint of acreage of fields planted and that's in, in corn Illinois, i think it's 35 percent yeah yeah that's the that's that's the corn the soybeans are only 14 percent right yeah the soybeans and that and that's usually because you can go a little yeah. bit later on little soybeans, later. soybeans yeah. have a little bit later um a little bit later planting date but what i was going to get to real quickly here is that the state of iowa had about 70 percent and the problem now is that even though the the, the crop is planted you don't have the proper weather conditions to get the plant to actually become, um, you know, you know, growing, and yeah, pollinated. 
So we're looking at a, we're looking at a, 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 almost a two, if not a three prong scenario. Is you can't get into the fields, and then the stuff you planted most likely isn't going to grow. It hasn't grown yet. Yeah, and, the Iowa's at forty two percent. And with for some perspective, last year in Illinois at at this point, May twenty sixth, ninety nine percent had been. Oh yeah. Had been oh yeah. Planted. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Last year actually turned out to be pretty good. Um, and then the other problem we haven't even talked about that was when you get in the areas of Kansas and Oklahoma, I think one of the maps that I sent you guys um, shows that they had nearly 20 inches of rain wow. in the last month in parts of southern Kansas and Oklahoma. And that's one of the reasons why you keep hearing about the Arkansas River. That's the river that actually, begin, believe it or not, begins at the base of Pikes Peak in Colorado. It runs just south of Colorado Springs, uh, moves through parts of Kansas, ends up going through areas of Missouri uh, and Arkansas and eventually drains into the Mississippi River. So between the Arkansas River and the uh, Red River, those are two rivers that have a very, very wide floodplain, and that's one of the reasons why you're seeing such devastating flooded in those areas. The problem, yeah. though, is that um, we keep having these flood events and these heavy rain events and I don't see us really doing too much about it other than saying, well, we'll, we'll be fine with it until it becomes almost catastrophic. And we really have got to start thinking 30, 40, 50 years into the future. Um, and I'm sure Fred does a lot of long-term planning as well, is to figure out how to not build within the floodplain and how to figure out, you know, 100 years from now when the, when the country's population is probably approaching 450 million people. Where are we going to put all these people? Everybody wants to live near a river or some form of <laughs> yeah. transport, you know, and, system and park their of cars water. somewhere. Um, yeah, it's going to be difficult. And one last thing is that the barges are now having a more difficult time getting up and down the Mississippi River because the river is expected to crest uh, about 43 feet at St. Louis in a couple of weeks, and the record crest is 47. Wow. And it's only early June. We have a long mm. way to go. And uh, we just got a tweet from Casey Tomato, who was on the show earlier today. He says the Missouri River along Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, Kansas and Missouri has been right. flooded out for more than a month. Yeah, I mean, you, you remember the flooding we had back in early March, mm-hmm. and that, that ruined most of the crops, not most of the crops, but most of the pasture land, um, and, and rancher, uh, those ranchers up in the northern parts of Nebraska, they were literally, you know, they, they, their season was done, and it hadn't even begun yet. Um, so the bottom line is, you know, these are becoming more and more common, uh, they're becoming more and more costly, and then on top of that, throwing the tariffs between here and China, and the new ones, in Mexico, and as I like to call it, the Trump tariff, which is really what you got to call it, is another thing that the farmers have to deal with. And I am sure you're going to see uh, some really, really depressed prices on corn and soybeans over the next three or four days, especially at the end of this week, because June 5th is the day where the farmers really have to figure out whether or not it's thumbs down or thumbs up for them for the year. Yeah, that, our friend uh, Pat Scatch wrote about that. He's got a friend who is trying to make that decision, and a lot of farmers are in the same boat. And that's a metaphor that I, I it, it, that strikes to the heart of this, actually. Okay, we got like a minute and a half, Rick, so give us the forecast. Yeah, yeah uh, obviously cleared out. Uh, it's cool today, unseasonably cool. So mid-60s today. Uh, mid to upper 60s, near 70 tomorrow. Lake Michigan water temperature is about 5 degrees below normal. 
but the lake is actually two and a half feet above normal. Uh, so the lake is cool and the lake is high. Unfortunately, we go right back into a wet pattern with rain expected Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I hate to say this, guys, but Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of next week do not look very good. Mid-60s wow. with rain, and we could be talking about another three to four inches yeah. of rain south of us over the next five days. The pattern does not go anywhere anytime soon for the next two or three weeks. Unbelievable. This is pretty depressing stuff. It is. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next week. Uh, thanks, uh, Rick. I uh, want to thank everybody on the show today. Uh, Casey Tomato, Craig LaHoulier, Fred Braun. Thank you for coming into the studio. Appreciate it. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.